How many people have the anthem stuck in their head when they know it for the rest of the week and have to come to church this Sunday to get a new one to replace it? I do. Swimming to the other side, or I'm thinking about turning. Turning. On Thursday, the earth turned and we went through the fall equinox. You know, change is always, but we human beings often want to mark that change somehow so we could say, this change is different than that. And so fall began, and I kept trying to tell myself, okay, fall, it's official, but... So today it is lovely. It begins to feel like uh, what the tilt of the earth and the orbit mean may actually finally arrive in Tulsa, Oklahoma. But there's this human need to turn and mark a change. An image that I adore from our Jewish neighbors, and I know many here were raised Jewish or married into a Jewish family, were coming up upon their high holy days. And I'm jumping the gun just a little bit to anticipate Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, which is in October. But those holidays are a process, and they're about a turning. And the image that the Jews often use is the image of the big book of life. And I love imagining something with that beautiful paper, and it's leather-bound, and it's thick, and it's heavy, And the image is that your name will be inscribed on that book. And you have a period of time in which to make right what may not have gone well this year for you. So it's part of that, it's cyclical. It's a cyclical understanding that a page turn means something is over, but something new is beginning. It is the Jewish New Year, and they celebrate at the beginning with honey and offer each other, have a sweet New Year, honey and nuts. And we don't see often an image of God as the one that does the writing. We don't take on God as a watchmaker or a scribe. But I think it's useful to picture ourselves, along with all the other names, being written in the book. And you have a period of time, Rosh Hashanah, before Yom Kippur, which means in Hebrew, Day of Atonement. And there are very explicit instructions for how to have your name inscribed before it is sealed so that you have another year of life. And we have set aside that ritual of working out, so how can I look back at this year and see if I've done well? And in the Jewish tradition, they are specifically required to go to everyone that they can think of And they're given time to say, I'm sorry. I'm sorry I hurt you. I'm sorry I misunderstood what you said. I'm sorry. 
So I'm going to talk about our taking that on for ourselves. And I'll frame it as um, it comes from our universalist tradition, I'd say. Let's look there. Because the universalists originally said, okay, we don't believe in a God who will damn you to hell, who won't let you say, I'm sorry, and start again. That just doesn't make sense. But we do that to ourselves all the time. We take our mistakes, and then we hold on to them tight for the rest of our lives and mull on them and flog ourselves. So I'm going to say we take on universalism in the here and now, and we grant ourselves a line, a page, where we work to forgive ourselves and to forgive others and to ask for forgiveness and to start over. Otherwise, everything we do is tainted by this guilt and shame and worry, or it comes out in a whole bunch of other ways of, um, you know, I don't want to look at that part of myself, so I'm just going to bully ahead. There is that bully self, lack of self-confidence. Um, it, it affects everything. I'm talking about asking for forgiveness from others and I'm also talking about you actually can't accept anyone's apology until you've learned to say sorry to yourself and accept your own humanness we're going to make mistakes we need a process and we need to revisit on a regular basis my experience with sorries is that it changes. I think I've done something to you, and I'm sorry, and then a time passes, and I realize, oh, there are actually layers underneath that that are much more subtle and complicated. Um, and I think that's why it's hard to teach children how to say I'm sorry. Because it has layers and can be complicated, and the hurt can linger, and we don't recognize sometimes the breadth of what, what the situation is. As I um, prepared for this sermon, I debated, and I'm, I'm about to decide to tell you a, a very personal story about growing up in a household where there is a lack of forgiveness and a lack of self-forgiveness. And it's taken me years to recognize that that's part of what I grew up with. I had uh, two lovely parents whose first child was born with something that is now so easy to fix. And that is a hole in that child's heart. So they're first born, named after my dad. He was a junior, but they called him Sandy. Was born... And it took a while for them to figure out what was going on. So this was the 40s. Open heart surgery was not a common thing. And um, my parents were from Texas and traveling in Oklahoma because he was a petroleum um, engineer. And so they were traveling in all these dusty towns. And my mother spent the first year, six years of his life 
Parents who have delicate children will know this tale of trying to keep him healthy and alive. He couldn't catch germs. Uh, They were in small, dusty towns, and my mother tells stories of wetting towels and stuffing them in windowsills and that kind of thing. And finally reached a point where they had to make a decision to keep him alive and researched. It actually was a female surgeon who was beginning to perform these operations. And they went. And he did not survive. And this forgiveness part, my mother and my father, I know more about my mother, but my, both of them could not forgive themselves for that choice. And it colored the rest of their lives. It colored their life, their relationship. It colored what it meant to bring other children into the world afterwards. It colored... So it breaks my heart that someone who made a decision at the time in the most loving possible way couldn't forgive themselves. And I'd say we do that a lot to ourselves on big and small things. So part of saying, part of asking for forgiveness from someone is not expecting that forgiveness to make you feel a whole lot better. You know how when you say you're sorry to someone? Okay, if I say I'm sorry, then I want you to respond this way. I want you to go, oh, it wasn't important, or I forgive you. We have, we have very concrete expectations of what that asking for forgiveness will look like, that we'll be absolved and feel much better, And I'm going to claim that it doesn't always work that way. That the person changed by saying you're sorry is yourself. And you can't control how the other person responds. So when you're asking for forgiveness from yourself, that's what makes it hard. Because you want that other part of yourself to go, yeah, right, okay, good, now we're done. And the reason the Jews have a ritual for coming back to it is that saying you're sorry is complicated and has layers. And you're another person a year from now and you understand those transgressions, a word we don't use often, sins. You understand them in a different way. In fact, saying you're sorry helps you understand more clearly what that sin and transgression is. I see puzzled faces. (laughs) I think in part because I've been, I have for us, of course, a handout. (laughs) Because I really want us to think and wrestle with what does it mean to atone? So the Jews consider atonement writing the world. And this isn't something you can do today or right now in church. This is something to take home and put it someplace where you come back to it. Don't try to atone for everything in your life. 
I suggest you pay attention to when, when, when the words atonement or sorry come up, that you find that one that might be easiest to start with. The Buddhists suggest start with the easy, then work to the hard. And forgiving ourselves is often the hard one. Maybe do that last. So I took this from, uh, there's a lovely Jewish magazine called Tikkun, which is progressive, interfaith actually. And every year they publish how to atone, how to spend time asking for forgiveness, how to say I'm sorry to someone. And I'm going to make the case that it is so much easier to say I love you than it is to say I'm sorry. And I think that has something to do with pride and that difficulty acknowledging how darn human and fallible and um, promise-breaking we are. And that that's the, the message of being Unitarian Universalist is that we are promise-making promise-breaking, but promise-remaking. And that we fall down and we get up, and we fall down and we get up. And that having a period of an atonement is a chance for you to really focus your attention on all those ways you've fallen down. Hmm, and I keep falling down that way. Or as the classic 12-step program talks about, if there's a hole that you keep falling into... There's a whole uh, litany joke about if there's a hole that you fall into, um, first, walk around the hole the next time. But if you keep falling into it, try taking a different road entirely. (laughs) That this is a chance to look at our patterns and those roads that we keep going down that cause problems and make relationships difficult. And there are some words here that might make some of you flinch. The word spiritual. What if you uh, substitute the word emotionally nourishing? I'm on the um, page with two dark bars on it. How spiritually nourishing is your work? How emotionally nourishing? How, How interconnected? I'd say that spirituality is about looking at how interconnected you are with each other and with the universe. That's not woo-woo. That's um, pretty essential. So I'm going to ask you to take this home. And what, what is incomplete in our process is on Yom Kippur on the Day of Atonement in synagogues and temples around the world in middle of October they'll also talk about their sins as a community how do they as a community need to be forgiven and I think that's a tough one for us Again, it's pride. We think we're doing good work. Where are we missing the mark? And I think this week in Tulsa, it's a complicated question. As we watch videos and make instant judgments and uh, talk about how we're different than Charlotte, uh, 
yes and no? What are what is our role as an institution in perpetuating the status quo in how race relations or police or law enforcement happen? How do we as Hope Church, how do we ask for forgiveness and look at our ways and improve ourselves for the next year? That's a process I think our church needs to figure out how we can talk about ourselves as a whole. The Committee on Ministry is kind of trying to wrestle with that and the board is wrestling with that. How do we step back and look at ourselves as a whole? And would we ever say we're sorry as an institution? Would we attend something and say we are Hope Church and we are sorry this happened? We don't want it to happen again? Is there a time or a place where that would be appropriate? At the moment, we don't really have a clear mechanism for that. So the goal is if we want to keep with that image, is to have our names written in that book of life because we want to live another year. We've atoned for what we've done wrong and we will do better this year. We have a lot to give. We have a lot to offer. And so on Yom Kippur, may we all be sealed into that book as that page gets closed. May it be so.